Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Um, I think you guys sang better with the piano. You covered your mistakes. No more of the, uh, 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 like when you don't get to something, or you get to something you don't know. Um, we've got some notes in the back. I apologize, they are not hole punched. I printed them this morning, and when I went to pick them up, there were two pages missing, so that was, that was on me. And so, uh, anyways, but uh, they are in the back, so you can at least grab them if you have a notebook and um, two sheets of notes in there. And so, uh, make sure you get the front and the back. We're going to be in John chapter number 21 today. John chapter number 21. So, if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to that, uh, is where we will be. And uh, I'm not going to take the time to really read the whole chapter, um, although a majority of our story is the whole chapter. And so John chapter number 21 is one of my favorite passages because I feel as though it gives us a really good glimpse into uh, humanity. Um, we get to see a little bit of everything in John chapter number 21. But today we're going to look at a lesson that I know some of you will say, oh, that's not that important. Um, but we have been in a series entitled The Christian Mind. And so on Wednesday nights, we've kind of been going practically through some thoughts on how to maybe handle some things. We've broken it down into really three different uh, stages on Wednesday night. Uh, the first one is restrict. So if you don't like the way that your mind is um, or the direction that your mind is taking you, then let's step back and let's look at what you are putting into it. So we'll restrict it. The second thing is, and I've said this a thousand times, is that unfortunately we don't have the opportunity to think about nothing, so we must refocus our minds. So if we just say, all right, I don't like what Netflix is giving me, giving my mind, I don't like what social media is doing to my mind, I don't like what the music that I listen to is doing to my mind, I don't like this, what this relationship is doing to my mind, you can restrict all those things, but ultimately you must refocus your mind at some point onto something that is bigger and greater. And so our goal in this class has obviously been to refocus it on the Lord, refocus it on his blessings, and then we'll move uh, next week or this coming Wednesday into what the last phase is that we are calling renew. Uh, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 talks about the renewing of your mind. And so on Sunday mornings, we've been keeping the same series but looking more at the battles of the mind and some practical things about how we can do that. We've actually been looking at stories. Um, I kind of learned that we can identify with stories. I enjoy teaching verse by verse. We did that through First Thessalonians here a couple of weeks ago. Um, but there is something about identifying with a story. We are human beings, and so we like to maybe see other people's problems. My son, um, he has gotten into uh, reading the Bible on his own, and so we just kind of encourage him to read a verse a day or something like that. And uh, he's big on reading out of books that he knows like people's names. And so he's like, Dad, what stories are in Joel? And I was like, Honestly, there's not that many good stories and it's probably going to be kind of like hellfire and damnation. So why don't you go over to John and like just read a random verse. But, he, but it's because we're attracted to story. We're attracted to people who have been through something similar to what we've been through. And so today we're going to be talking about battling 
embarrassment, battling embarrassment. So I already said that I know some of you will kind of scoff at that and say, well, that doesn't influence anything. Here's what I want you to see. There's actually a main idea in your notes that I'm going to go ahead and give you, and then we'll move into the introduction after we read the verses. But embarrassment is a tool that Satan can use and often uses to keep God's people or to keep Christians from fulfilling their, his plan for their life. Many times, here's what I see in the Christian world, with Christians, with people who are serving in ministry. There are obviously some pretty big qualifications. There's some big things that can occur in people's lives to where they disqualify themselves from serving in ministry or maybe ministering to others. There's also the grace of God that runs alongside of that that can restore people according to Galatians chapter number 6 and James as well. So there are those options, but that's very rarely the case for most Christians. For most Christians, they simply struggle with serving the Lord and fulfilling God's plan for their life simply because of maybe a hesitation. Maybe it's an insecurity. Maybe it is, I'm not going to be good at this. Or maybe it's that I'll give it a try and, oh, the try that I gave it did not go well, and so I'm going to give up on it. There's actually a lot of cases in Scripture that teach us about how embarrassment and failure, how God uses those in our life. And so today, we're not going to take the time to go and rehearse maybe the embarrassment. I'll give you that in the context. But John chapter number 21 is actually following really one of Peter's biggest embarrassments. What did Jesus say that Peter would do when he was, getting, when he was on trial to be crucified? He said, Peter, you'll deny me thrice before the cock crows. So he, gave the, he already gave the prophecy. How many of you think that if God told you or Jesus told you, this is what is going to happen to you, that you would maybe be a little more conscious of not doing it? I've always thought that. Like, how does Jesus look at Peter and say, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And the first time that it happens, Peter denies Christ. You would think there would be like an alarm that went off like, Oh, stink. I'm, I'm 33% of the way toward Jesus' prophecy coming true. But yet, Peter vehemently denies Christ to the point to where prior to this chapter, he even uses a swear word, basically something that he tries to prove, this is not who I am. And that is the context of John chapter number 21. So let's begin reading in verse number 3. Okay, verse number 3. This is after Jesus has died. This is after his disciples have obviously kind of scattered. In verse number 3, we pick up, and the Bible says this, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. So before we give Peter too hard of a time, he did have some buddies who, who partook in this as well. Okay? They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Isn't it funny how God doesn't honor are basically disobedience is maybe a little bit of a strong word but god isn't going to honor our distraction from what he's called us to do and this is exactly what they're doing in verse number three he went back to his old lifestyle verse four but when the morning was now come jesus stood on the shore but the disciples knew not that it was jesus then Jesus saith unto him, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. Nothing worse than asking a fisherman, Have you caught anything? And a boat full of fishermen have to respond and say, Across the shore, No. Okay? 
That's what Jesus is building up here, all right? And then verse number 6, And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes, which, by the way, this isn't a part of the passage. But isn't it interesting that Jesus uses the same miracle that he used to call Peter, that is the same miracle that he uses to bring him back to himself? If you go back and you look at Luke chapter number, I believe Luke 5, this is the exact same miracle that Jesus tells Peter. He says, cast your net on the other side. So two times in Peter's life, the first when he decides to follow and become a disciple of Jesus Christ, and the second when he decides to almost, for lack of a better term, re-surrender his life back to following Christ. It is the same miracle. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land. And as it were, two hundred cubits dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw fire and coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land, full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many. Yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. I want you to skip down. This is uh, the following verses is where Jesus kind of pins uh, Peter down. He says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And then we get down to verse number 17. The Bible say, says this, He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, uh, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? And will you say the next three words with me out loud together? Ready? Follow thou me. Follow thou me. In the midst of probably one of the most embarrassing scenes of Scripture, Jesus brings Peter back and says, Peter, I've got a job for you. Let's work you out of this embarrassment. Let's work you out of this difficult time. And let me use you for my honor and for my glory so that as you follow me, others will follow me as well. So let's pray and we'll talk for just a couple minutes about battling embarrassment. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the day that you've given us. We thank you for uh, just the type of God that you are. That somehow in the midst of some of our most difficult moments and our most difficult times, you step in and you have a way of drawing us out and Lord actually using it for your honor and for your glory. 
Lord, we take hope in the fact that you've used people in this series and that we've, we've looked to like Gideon and like Peter who made mistakes, who maybe doubted you, who maybe didn't have strong faith, but yet in the midst of all that, you were glorified. And I think the thing that the common theme that we keep revisiting is this, is that so many want to have a strong mind for themselves, but ultimately, Lord, you want our weakness to show your strength. And so, God, in our weakest moments, in our moments of embarrassment, in our moments of discouragement, in our moments of depression, anxiety, stress, whatever it may be that we are facing, Lord, may that be a tool that you can use to bring honor and glory to you. And we ask all these things in your name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever done something that you are not good at? Done something you're not good at, all right? So last night, my son and I and a couple of friends we went to, a couple of you are like, nope, I'm perfect. Okay, well, good for you. The rest of us raised our hand and was honest, all right? Um, but last night, my son and a couple of buddies, we went to Go USA, which is like basically Murfreesboro's form of Six Flags um, and very lackluster. Uh, but anyways, we got there and uh, we were kind of, we did putt-putt and then we went and we were, the, it was super crowded. We went and we were like, all right, what do you guys want to do next? And all of them are into baseball right now. And they're like, we want to do the batting cages. And it's like, that's really fast, like just so you know. And they're like, no, 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 we want to do the batting cages. And so we put them in like a 30 mile per hour batting cage. It was softballs. We didn't tell them that. We, they, that way they didn't think that they were girls or whatever. But it was a softball. And I remember his buddy that's a little bit older than him got up. And I mean, we gave him, I think, 15 pitches. And he, I think he got like he hit 10 of them. Well, Braxton got up and Braxton it bless his heart like life's pretty intense when you're Braxton Norris okay especially when it comes to sports and so he got up and I could tell with every swing that he missed like the frustration was setting in like he was getting a little bit ticked off he would foul one off instead of hitting a, hitting a line drive and he'd get more ticked off and so he walked out and he had one of those masked helmets on and he walked out and he stood by me on the fence and I heard the mask of the helmet hit the fence and I looked down at him and I said, you all right? And he, he looked up and big old tears in his eyes. Of course, I'm a pretty competitive person too. And so I looked at him and I said, stop, no, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna act like that. And he walked over to his mom and, she, and he came back over and he goes, mommy says I have to try it again. And I said, why, did you say you weren't gonna try it again? He goes, yeah, I didn't wanna try it again, but now I want to try it again. And I'm like, good talk, mom, good job, all right? <laughs> Because I was about to just put him back in there and say, you're swinging until you hit it. I don't care if it costs me 40 bucks, okay? <laughs> All that to say, now I want you to watch it how this plays out, okay? I knew what I was going to be speaking on a little bit today, and so I was already needing an introduction, uh, introductory illustration. So, so now... I'm like, like trying to be macho dad, like you get back out there and you hit it. Well, then some genius had the idea like, hey, the dads need to go and do the 70 mile per hour one. I have not seen a 70 mile per hour fastball in probably 12 years, okay? So I'm like, oh man, I'm about to stick my foot in my mouth. I made my kid get out there. And so that first pitch, I don't even think, I don't think I saw it. Like I, I think it hit the back fence before I even had my bat up. And so I was like, and like now I'm starting to feel what he's feeling. Like, all right, I'm going to hunker down and I'm going to make contact on this. And so the first one I make contact on, I don't know how many of you have played baseball, but it caught me on the inside hands and it just stung. Like it's one of those ones that stings all the way up through your elbow. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, and I'm, I'm not, and like Braxton's sitting there with his face up against the <laughs> fence. And I'm like, okay, all right. I know how this goes. 
So after about six pitches, I was like, I'm, I'm making contact, but I'm going to put one in play here. And there's a point in your life to where you have a choice when you face failure and you face embarrassment. You can either buckle down and say, Lord, would you use me through this? Or I'm going to walk away and I'm not going to do this anymore. And in that situation last night, it taught me a valuable lesson, one that I see in Scripture as well. To where many times what we quit on is on the leading edge, it's on the front edge of God being able to say, I've got you to the point to where I can use you. If it's always about me proving myself and proving how good I am, then at some point it becomes more about me and God cannot and will not honor pride. And in moments of embarrassment, it's not always outside of maybe hitting baseball at a drive or at a pitch off of a pitching machine, okay? It's not always an opportunity for you to just buckle up and tighten everything up and say, okay, I'm going to show how good I am. In moments of embarrassment and moments of failure and maybe even moments of discomfort, it is an opportunity for you as a child of God to step back and say, look at how good my heavenly Father is. And for many of us, when we fail or we embarrass ourselves, we have one of two options. And we never consult the biblical one. Option number one is that we quit, we walk away, we say, I'm done, I'm not good at it, there's no way that God can use me, so I'm done. Option number two is step up, man up, do the right thing, show everybody how good you are, and let's get this thing done. Neither of those are biblical options. Biblical options are this. The only biblical option is, Lord, be glorified through this. I'm going to step out and I'm going to maybe do something that is outside my comfort zone. I'm going to step out and I'm going to do something that I'm not good at. I'm going to step out and I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to do something that scares me. I'm going to do something that I could fail at. I'm going to do something that could embarrass me. And if you're not careful, you will seek to live a Christian life within your comfort zone. And can I just be very honest with you? Most of the people that God has used throughout Scripture and throughout history, He calls them out of their comfort zone. Not because he wants you to be big, but because he wants to be big through you. So if I could, just for the next couple minutes, give you three don'ts, basically three ways to not battle embarrassment straight from this passage. The first one is this. Don't return to your comfort zone. It's interesting to me that in verse number 3, when Peter was embarrassed, when Peter was at his lowest, when Peter had basically, for lack of a better term, become a failure, we read about it, we talk about, oh, Peter was, Peter was this, Peter was that, P Peter denied Christ, Peter should have gotten it figured out. What did he do in verse number 3? He went back to what he knew. He went back to what was comfortable. He went back to fishing. He went back to a former lifestyle. Let me just encourage you with this. On a good, for a good Christian, okay? We're going to get to something that is maybe a little bit heavier in just a second. But for a good Christian, what we often do when we fail is, well, let's go back to what I know I can do. Well, I didn't, I didn't do good helping in that kid's class, or I didn't do good greeting that visitor. I said how, okay, if you were here on Wednesday night, all right? I didn't do good with that, and so I'm just going to go back, and I'm just going to sit on the back row. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to 
just I'm here, okay? We resort back to our comfort zone. I think that you could go and you could look at verse number three and you could determine by what we know about the human mind now is that Peter went back to almost a little form of his cope of a way to cope. Like, oh my goodness, I'm so embarrassed. The people in the community now see me as the guy who denies Christ. The disciples now know that I did that. I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm just going to go back to what I know. So what did he do? He went back to fishing. He went back to his comfort zone, okay? Now, what Peter did, and I want you to see this, okay? Because I think this is where so many Christians start to spiral. What Peter did was not inherently sinful. Can we all agree with that? It was maybe not well advised. It was maybe somewhat discouraging for Jesus to invest three and a half years of his life into someone like this, only for him to go back to that. But I want you to watch this. I think based off of the way that maybe Peter was dressed, okay, verse number eight, I'll let you go read it for yourself, all right? He was starting to spiral towards something that could have eventually put him into a more sinful position. You go and study historically, the fishermen of the society and of the city and of the culture weren't really known for their character and their integrity, all right? Which is even why it makes it more humorous that Jesus calls people, people like Peter and Matthew and puts them on the same team, okay? So now Peter has returned to this former lifestyle, and I want you to listen to this. It's one thing if you resort to basically just saying, I'm not going to go and greet people. I'm not going to be kind at church. I'm not going to do whatever. I'm not going to teach this class. I'm not going to tithe because it made me financially uncomfortable. I'm not going to do this. Like, I failed, and so now I'm just going to go and do this, okay? But it is a completely different thing when we as human beings take the failure that we experience in the work and service of God and let it spiral us and push us into sin. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see, is that if you never get back to that comfort zone, you're never going to get back to that carnal state. If you never say, all right, I'm just going to go back to what I know, eventually what you know can be traced and tracked back to the former and old man, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, okay? Sometimes we want to sit here and we want to scratch our heads. How could someone who was over here, who was teaching a Sunday school class, who was a pastor, who was a leader, who was whatever, who was a faithful church member, how could they go from here? How could they go from singing in church? How could they go from teaching a class? How could they go from leading a church? How could they go from pastoring? How could they go from that all the way over into some sinful, wicked lifestyle to now where they're completely disqualified from ever getting back to that position? How does that happen? Here's how it happens. Lord, I failed you here, so I'm going to go back to what's comfortable. I'm going to go back to what I know. And eventually, what you know as a human being becomes more comfortable and becomes more and more and more and more sinful to the point to where if you're not careful, just resorting back to your comfort zone could eventually lead you back to sin. Not saying it does every time, but I'm saying that it could. I think you see the front end of that in Peter's life in John chapter number 21. And in moments of embarrassment, it is not an opportunity for you to say, I messed up, I guess I'll just go do what I want. It is a moment for you to claim the power of God and, and leads us to our second thought, and that is this, don't isolate yourself from Jesus. Don't isolate yourself from Jesus. 
You messed up. You failed. You, you, you got discouraged. You got depressed. You didn't do something the way that people thought that you should do it. You didn't handle a situation the right way, okay? Don't let it be something that drives a wedge between you and God. Don't let it be something that pushes you away from God. It is so almost encouraging to me to see that when Peter sees and, he, and when John looks at him and says, it is the Lord, what does Peter do? Peter doesn't say, man, when we get that boat over there, I can't wait to see him. Peter is the one person, I want you to check all of the, all of the um, crossover in these stories. Peter was the one person who stepped out of the boat and walked on water. And he's in this passage, the one person who wraps up in a robe and says, I'm going to swim to shore. In your moments of embarrassment, you better find a way to get to the feet of Jesus as quickly as you can. Get out of that comfort zone and get back to the feet of Jesus. Stop isolating yourself just because, well, I guess God's done with me. That just only feeds the spiral that you're experiencing in your personal life. Don't let embarrassment be the tool that Satan uses in your life to get you and keep you from fulfilling God's plan for your life. Because here's what we see. Is that once Peter gets back to the feet of Jesus, what does Jesus do? Peter, do you love me? Yes. Lord, you know I love you. But then I want you to see this. Three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? Three times Peter answers, and three times Jesus gives him a command as to what to do. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my flock, which is why in 1 Peter chapter number 5, Peter himself writes, feed the flock of God. Peter is the one who talks about how shepherds should deal with their flocks. Why? Because Jesus gave him a mission out of his darkest moment so that he could be used in fulfilling God's plan. And the last thing is this, is don't compare your story with others. Peter has this intense moment of spirituality with Jesus in, uh, around a fire, okay? doesn't get much better than sitting around a fire with Jesus eating fish, okay? Talk about something that would be Pinteresting, okay? Did you get that? That was punny, huh? Um, he's sitting around a fire with Jesus, okay? He's having literally a supper, fire-lit supper with Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And, Jesus, or, and Peter responds, says, Lord, you know I love you. By the way, this is John recording this. John could have said, Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter hesitated. Okay? He, he, was, he was a loser. Like, you didn't know what he was going to do. Like, he could have said all that stuff. But because of the inspiration of Scripture, Peter, John records Peter accurately, and you can sense the passion in Peter's voice. Lord, you know that I love you. To the point to where the third time, what did we read? That Peter was grieved that the Lord had asked him three times. And he says, do you love me? And after immediately following that moment, okay? I want you to get the picture. Immediately following that moment, here's what Peter does. His eyes are locked on Jesus Christ. He's confirmed his love for Christ. He's received a mission from Christ. He is now back in tune with his Savior. And he, uh, the first thing that he does out of that moment is he looks to his left or to his right, whichever one, and says, what about this guy? 
What's going to happen to John? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus gives the most profound answer in probably all of Scripture that many of us probably need to have plastered on the backgrounds of our phones or read every single time we check social media. He says, If he shall tarry until I come, what is that to thee? Basically, why does it matter? Why do you care? Why do you care what I'm going to do with him? And then he says two times. The first time he says, follow me. And then after that answer, he says this, follow thou me, meaning this. It could very well be that your moment of embarrassment is the preparation or your moment of failure or your moments of despair is the preparation that the Lord needs to get you to keep your eyes on him. God, I messed up. God, I, I see what doing it my way brought. So I'm just going to, I'm going to keep my eyes locked on you. I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to stray where you don't want me to stray. Because by the time we get to Acts chapter number one and two, who stands up and preaches? Peter. I don't think that if you have John 21, I don't think you have Peter in Acts 2. And I don't think that if you don't have embarrassment in Peter's life in John chapter number 19 and 20, I don't think that you have John 21. I think you have a cocky, arrogant guy who's gone and he's sliced off someone's ear to protect his Savior, and then he's rolling in and he's ready to do battle for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think you have Acts 2 Peter unless you can track back and see that you have denying Peter. Then you have uh, departing Peter, okay? I'm not trying to make those, um, whatever, uh, alliterated or whatever, okay? To where Peter goes and he goes fishing. I don't think that you have Peter in Acts chapter number 1 and 2 unless you have Peter when he's denying Jesus Christ. Which means this. That in your moments of embarrassment, if you're in your moments of failure, in your most difficult times where, Lord, I don't think you can use me, here's what you have to come back to. Is that it could be that Satan is using that embarrassment as a tool to keep you from fulfilling what God would have you to do. But it could very well be, and this is where I want to flip the script on you for just a second, we'll be done. It could very well be that Jesus is using that embarrassment and that failure as a tool for him to use you even more. And for many of us, our minds don't think like that, do they? Well, God, I stunk at that. Guess I'm done. I tried. I'm out. No. Well, God, I stunk at that. So guess what? By golly, I'm going to go and I'm going to show everybody that I can be good at it. No. What about, Lord, I stunk at that. And so I'm going to need you to help me. I know you've called me to do something. I know you've given me a burden. I know you've given me a mission. I know that you know that I love you. You know that I want, I don't want to go back to my old lifestyle. I want to go to my new lifestyle and do something that is for you. I don't want to spiral. 
I want to keep where I'm at. I want to stay on fire for you. I don't want the water of failure to be poured on a spiritual flame for you. I want you to use me. And so, Lord, what I'm going to ask you to do is to take this failure, take this embarrassment, and you be glorified through it. So much of the way that we have been trained by culture is one of two ways. Quit when it gets hard or prove yourself when it gets hard. And both are unbiblical. When what we should be doing is setting the precedent for the world around us, when I fail, it is an opportunity for God to be glorified. Just last night, my wife and I were having a conversation, and she said, she was talking about the thorn in, uh, in Paul's side. And she said, what did, what did Paul say? And she made me quote it, because I was the one that needed to hear it, okay? And I said, he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. He didn't say, you're good enough to go and fix this yourself. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray. We'll be done. Dear Heavenly Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.